We're going to start the book of Colossians. And so today we're just going to kind of look at the introduction. So I've given you, uh, we're not going to do a whole lot of reading today, so we don't have a lot of time anyway, so that was great. Um, but <coughs> just follow along with me with your handout, and I'm going to add some to it as we go. So the book of Colossians is really geared at the Laodicean Christian today. And that's another reason why I picked this book. And it's a short book. I'm not gonna, I don't think I'm gonna pick a long book. Just cause my reason is, well, the rapture could happen. Well, I guess it wouldn't make any difference if you're in the middle of Ezekiel. He's in the middle of Ezekiel. God, the rapture can't happen. We're in the middle of Ezekiel. It can't happen. But no. Colossians is a short book. It's got four chapters. But anyway, it's really geared at who we are because it starts talking about man's philosophy and it has those verses in there that man, they hit us home again. Of course, the whole Bible, when you start studying it, it all hits home. Yeah. But I'm like, this is, this is a book that really can minister to the local New Testament church in the time period that we live. So on your handout, it says the apostle Paul arrived in Rome between 61 and 63 AD under house arrest. Now you guys know the story, right? End of his third missionary trip, he goes back to Jerusalem, and, and then they uh, they want to kill him. They, t- they imprison him. They send him down to Caesarea, and he's in Caesarea waiting to be on trial. Can anybody tell me how long he's in Caesarea? All you Bible students out there, two years. He's in two years just down the road from Jerusalem waiting for the trial. And finally, when the king goes, okay, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem for for the trial. And Paul knows, hey, if you send me back there, I'm a dead man because they're going to kill me. He goes, I appeal unto Rome, to Nero, which I don't know if that's a whole lot better. But he's like, he always wanted to go to Rome. So uh, God's going to send him. Instead of going first class, he kind of went third class. But he still went. He went coach. Yeah, you went coach. And it was a rough trip. You know, you sit there and you think, you get home from vacation and you go, I need a vacation from the vacation I've been on because it was just, did not go as planned. And you read Paul's story a little bit and you're like, yeah, mine wasn't that bad. So uh, he spent two years in bondage preaching, but not, not only two years in Caesarea, but once he got to Rome, he spent two years in bondage. Uh, preaching and teaching God's word and waiting for his trial before Nero. So, I, I, uh, one of the pastors in my history that taught me a lot about the Bible, uh, always had this statement that, you know what, I'm gonna keep preaching the gospel until they throw me in jail. And when they throw me in jail, I'm gonna preach the gospel in jail. Well, guess what? God gave him that opportunity. I never followed up to see if he had a Bible study in jail or not. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. But he he would say that over and over. He goes, yeah, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. And then when they throw me in jail for preaching the gospel, I'll do it in there. Well, be careful what you ask for. But it wasn't God that threw him in jail. It was his own actions that threw him in jail. Let me just flat put that out there. But he still got to go to jail. Whether he preached in jail, I don't know. But Paul did. And so, um, during this time, people were led to Christ by, to Christ by Paul. 
And then they brought the gospel with them as they scattered to the ends of the known world. And so when we were in our church history uh, course, you know, last last summer and however long that took, we talked about two people that was in Herod's, uh, not Herod's, but in Nero's household, Caesar's household, that went back to their country where they were from and they but in the meantime they got saved while they were in Rome and then they took the gospel with them back to where they went. Do you guys remember the two people I'm talking about? Does that vaguely ring yeah, remind you? Uh it was two people, let's see, let me find my notes here. Um Claudia and Pudence. And if you're taking notes, uh, you'll find their names in Philippians 4.22 and 2 Timothy 4.21. And so you see these two people, they get saved. And history tells us that they brought the gospel from Rome back to England, you know, and around 60 A.D. And if you go back and start studying Ireland and England and Wales and all those people at that point, you'll find out the gospel got there very, very early. Well, that's about as early as you can get. And so Christianity's been in England for a long time in the island. And so, um, and then it was a result of that. There was a little Welsh girl like in the late 1700s, Mary Jones. Remember we had the little video? And she wanted a Bible in the Welsh language. And she couldn't get one. She went and finally she begged and, and saved her money for like three years to get this Bible. And then the, the, the pastors of the church that, that got her the Bible are like, you know what, we need we need to get Bibles to the Welsh people. We, and out of that, the English Foreign and Bible Society was made. And then out of that, the Trinitarian Bible Society came up in about 1830, about 30 years after that, which is still going strong today. Um, I was thinking it was like a half a day walk or, or it was, it was a pretty good walk. And, uh, yeah, so you can get that video on Mary Jones on YouTube. So if you want to watch it again, you can go to YouTube and you can watch that. And it kind of gives you the history of it. Now, I say all that, but I was, I was watching, watching, I was listening to Alan Johnson, uh, as a missionary. We don't currently support him. But he is a missionary that runs the uh, Bearing Precious Wings. Wings Bearing Precious Wings. It's a kind of a playoff, the Precious Wings in Cincinnati. And it's a group that started with a guy taking scripture down to South America on a little, on a plane. He had his own plane and he would load it up and he'd take Bibles to South America. Well, that guy got older and he passed the torch on to this man by the name of Alan Johnson. Well, he doesn't fly, but he kind of does the same thing. He, he takes mission trips to different places and he helps Bibles get from America to different places around the world. And so I was reading his uh, prayer letter for the spring and one of the places that they sent Bibles to was was to the Welch people in England. So there are still people in England area that speak Welch. And it sounds like German. It's it's wild. You can go on YouTube and you go, what does Welch sound like? And they'll have somebody speaking it. And they're like, that's not even close to English. You know? And, and wings, what? wings bearing precious seeds. 
So Alan Johnson is supposed to be one of the men here at the Fall Bible Conference. You'll hear him speak. We are going to be doing 5,000 Spanish Bibles for him that will go to South America. But he also, he, he's kind of like us. He doesn't put Bibles together, but he works with organizations and he helps them to get to the, to the foreign field. Mike Horn does the same thing. Mike Van Horn. So, uh, I thought that was interesting. We're sending Bibles, and I think he sent some Bibles to England also, and to, uh, Wales today. They're sending Bibles there because why? We have missionaries there. Which just blows your mind. We're, we have missionaries. We have our own missionary to England, Brian Clark. And even though I think he's kind of stepped out of that church, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he stepped out of the church that he founded or got started, turned it over to a, a, a native English guy. And, uh, uh, but yeah, we support, we support him. So it's, it's interesting. We're support, and yet there, a few years ago, there, there was a lot of Mexicans coming to the United States. And the, the joke of the day was, we need to send missionaries to the United States because they need the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here we're talking about illegals coming in and all this stuff. There are Mexican churches sending missionaries to the United States, and I'm assuming a lot of it's probably to uh, Spanish-speaking peoples, mm-hmm. but our own country, if we're not careful, it's going to turn around just like England and all those other guys, which we're kind of there. We're almost there. So, I added a little bit too much there. So, let's get back on track. Um, let's see here. Paul also wrote several church letters that have become so important to the church down through history. And these letters, known as Paul's prison letters, were given to his faithful men to bring to their respective churches. Now, so Paul's in jail, and remember he writes the Philippian church, and, he, and, and, he's, and they're so concerned about him. And he writes to him, and he goes, guys, I need you to calm down a little bit. I'm okay, and I want you to know that the gospel is still getting out. And he didn't say this, but letters are being written. And things that, you, you know, we think it's the worst thing that could happen to me is actually God is using it for the, for the better. And so it'd be like us having him, one of our missionaries. And he's in, we find out he's in jail. Let's say, you know, Joe Hendricksman sent out an email or a, gets on YouTube or Facebook and says, you know, I got thrown in jail last night or his wife does. And we would be like, okay, stop everything. Pull the church in. Let's pray for this brother. Let's help him out, you know. And what can we do to get this guy out of jail? And how can we get him back going? That was the attitude that the Philippians had. And yet Paul writes him says, hey, calm down. God's good. He's got everything under control. And even though I'm in jail, it seems like the gospel's even going farther than when I was out. Okay? And so we get these church letters. And so, uh, we get these four church letters. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. All of them written while Paul was in jail. And so, on our list there's this number one. Epaphroditus was from Philippi. Philippians 4.18. And he brought the letter of to the Philippian church from Rome, from prison, where, where Paul wrote it, and he brings it back to Philippi. Okay? And we see that in Philippians 4.18. In fact, let's look at this one. Let's go to Philippians 4.18. 
Because a lot of these church history or church letters, you can find the history, but you got to kind of be like a, uh, a detective to kind of go to the books and pull out a verse here and a verse there and even the postscript. Philippians 4.18 says, see if I can have the right verse. I don't think I do. No, that's the right verse. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then the famous verse 419. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul's in jail. He's getting things sent from the church at Philippi, which probably didn't really have the sources to give it to him, but they did. And he turns around and tells them, hey, but since you're in a giving mood, my God's going to supply all your needs. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives us that the context there is the people that are actually ministering and giving. So it's like, okay, so what about the guy that's not doing anything? Is God going to supply all his needs? Good question. Good question. It's one of those questions. What if? But for the person that is doing what God wants them to do, God's going to take care of them. He'll take care of them. But my my point here was Epaphroditus was a guy that came from Philippi. He brought things to, to Paul while he's in jail in Rome, and yet, Paul writes the church a letter, gives it back to Epaphroditus and sends it back to him, back to the churches. Okay, so let's look at the postscript there. The postscript, I don't know, does your Bible have a postscript at the end? Mine says, it was written to the Philippians from Rome by Epaphroditus. So I don't know how much you can put stake or, or put your faith in the postscript, but I would pretty well say it's not scripture, but it is history. So what I see there, you see the same guy, Epaphroditus. Okay, so that was the book of the Philippians. And then, okay, so what about the other books? What about Colossians uh, and Ephesians and, and Philemon? Well, they were delivered by Tychicus. Tychicus was a guy that uh, uh, that Paul used to send these church letters back to the church at Ephesus the church at Colossae, and to uh, uh, Philemon. Tychicus is the guy. So can you imagine this? How important are these church letters? Very important. And so the fact of who delivered them is even important. I think you need to go back and look. Paul wouldn't just let anybody take these. They had to be a faithful servant. They had to be a faithful minister. And yet Paul wrote... And so this guy, Tychicus, is, is quite a guy. And so, uh, uh, you can read about him in Ephesians 6.21. But, but let me tell you what, a little bit about Tychicus. Tychicus assisted Paul in the taking, uh, the offering for the poor into Jerusalem. And he was with Paul during the imprisonment. Paul sent him to Crete to be the interim pastor there while Titus went to see Paul. You'll see that in Titus 3.12. All this is on your hand, at, or is it? No, it's in my notes. I'm sorry. Uh, Paul sent uh, uh, this guy Tychicus to Ephesus so that Timothy could come and see him while he was in prison. And not only did he send him there, 
he sent him there to take over and preach and be the pastor of the church. He's the interim pastor. So he sent him to where Titus was in Crete. He also sent him to Ephesus. He's the same guy that he sent back to Ephesus and Colossae here with these letters. And Paul sent the church letters of Ephesians and Colossians by the hand of Tychicus. He also accompanied Onesimus on his way back to Colossae. So when we're studying this out, the book of Philemon, uh, let me make sure I get the, the characters right. Uh, Philemon and Onesimus. I get the two mixed up. Let me stop here for just a minute. So one of them is the slave. So which one is it? I'm not even... Onesimus is, is the slave. Okay. Philemon is the man. Okay. The, the master. Philemon lives in Colossae. Okay. Interesting. It's just kind of how you throw all that out. So, um, but here's a strange thing. We have no record of Paul ever being in Colossae or Laodicea. Okay. But we have reason to believe that Epaphras, which we see also in the book, we haven't really talked about, was a student at Ephesus where Paul preached at for two years on his third missionary trip. And under Paul, who taught there again, like I said, for two years, and it might be that this guy Epaphras was a student and he got a two-year degree there at their TBI. You know, we have an HBI. They had a TBI. So turn over to Acts chapter 19 and I'll explain that a little bit. Here you go. Like, okay, Bob, what are you talking about? Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 19, and let's look at verse 9. In fact, we got a little time. Let's just go back to the beginning of, let's go back to 19.1. The beginning of Acts 19.1. Okay. And I am not like Brian. I don't back up at all. Okay. <laughs> And it came, Acts 19 was, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have no much such heard, whether there be any Holy Ghost. They're like, what are you talking about, man? And he, and he said unto them, Unto then what were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Oh my goodness, they're way behind, aren't they? Okay. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'm assuming, and I, this is a pretty good bet, that the gospel was put in there. Okay. What did Jesus do for us? And when they heard this, they were baptized. That's the this part of it. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue, and he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, this is Paul. He's in Ephesus. Again, verse 9. But when uh, divers were hardened... And they believe not, but they speak evil of that way. What way is that? The gospel. Before the multitude, he departed from them and he separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. I'll keep going. 
And this continued by the space of two years, so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So we're assuming this this guy named Epaphras heard the word, and in this school of Tyrannius, spent two years, got his two-year degree at the school, their uh, TBI Institute, and then went out from there. And what 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 does a what does a person do when they hear the, hear the gospel and they're trained up and they go back home? What do they do? Go back to their no? They they go back home and they start telling everybody about Jesus, who they are. They begin to evangelize. So we be we believe this guy Epaphras was a man that went. That learned under Paul, he went back to uh, uh, this uh, uh, valley that was about 90 miles from Ephesus. And in this valley was three cities. Uh, Colossae, let's see if I can find my notes, Laodicea and Hierapolis. So we believe that he started a church in all three of these. And yet he comes and he's with Paul in his third missionary trip. So now whether he comes to Paul to get some more information from him or he just comes to support him, we don't know. But we know that when Paul's in jail, this guy Epaphras is in jail with him. And so, but we know that he is from Colossae. So he can't take the letter back to Colossae because he's in jail. So they send Tychicus. So all this kind of ties together here. Uh, And so that's, uh, let's get back to our list here. So this guy Tychicus brought the letter to the church of the Ephesus, which, but he also brought the letter to the church at Colossae. Okay, we see that in the postscript, I believe, uh, in uh, the very end of Colossians. So let's go there and look at it. Philippians, Colossians it says, written from Rome to the Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. And yet it was Tychicus that went back because Onesimus is a slave. So he brought the letter back to Philemon, but he's a slave. He's a wanted man. So he goes back with Tychicus, and Tychicus is kind of like his his covering or the guy that's that's can be there when the authorities go, well, hey, you're a runaway slave. Who are you? And, and Tychicus is right there and goes, yep, taking him back to his master. And here we go. So that's what's going on. We have Epaphroditus is bringing the letter to the Philippians. We have Tychicus who's bringing the letter to Ephesus. Then he goes on to Colossae, 90 miles away. And at the same time, Onesimus, a slave from Colossae, is brought, bringing the letter to Philemon, who was his master. Okay. So, uh, the theme of the, these four books is in Ephesians, it reveals the church. So your blank is church. First blank. Ephesians reveals the church is the body of Christ. Colossians, which we're going to study, is going to reveal that Christ is the head of the body. Okay. Now we know that, right? We've taught that. We've we've seen Brian teach that. We know that the church is the body. We know that Christ is the head. But you got to remember these guys don't have Ephesians and Colossians yet. 
and there are there are there are there is false doctrine that's creeping into these churches that they need to have the doctrine out of these letters to help them overcome. There are there are people starting to teach you know things that are not right, and these letters help correct that. Okay, and so you have Philippians reveals that the believer's life is centered in in who Christ. Christ is your next blank. And Philemon reveals the believer's life in action. Because that's basically what this, the story of Philemon, uh, he, he tells Philemon he needs, he needs, uh, he needs to take Onesimus back and now as a brother, not just as a slave. And he, he repeals to him not only that because Onesimus now is saved. And so he's a brother. And he wants to make things right, and you need to forgive him and make things right with him because he's coming back. And so, uh, the church at Colossae was not started by Paul directly. We believe it was started by Epaphras, which I talked about. Probably started by Epaphras. Probably made up of mostly Gentiles. And again, the whole, the Bible doesn't tell us every specific detail, so we have to start putting things together. Okay? Uh, Paul intended to visit this church after his release. And Philemon 122, it, said, it says that. And Paul states to the church that we are complete in Christ. So in the book of Colossians, it says we are complete in Christ. Christ is the head of the body. He is everything that we need. Because there is doctrine, false doctrine, getting into the church that you need other things other than just Christ. To be right with God. And so that's going to come out as we study it. Okay. So on the back page, uh, page number two of your, of your handout, uh, has four chapters, 95 verses, 1979 verses. If you, if you're one of these A students that need to just study things out, Count those words out for me, because I saw another place that said there are 1,781 words. But I just haven't had time to look at it. It's not been on the top of my list. Okay, <laughs> Colossians means the punishments. It's written between 61 and 63 AD. The key verse. The key verse is a nightmare. It just depends on who you talk to. You may have a different key verse than me, but I'm going to break down the key verse to to chapter 1 and verse 28. What is this whole book about? And this is what Paul is wanting for the church at Colossae. Uh, Colossians 1.28 says this, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom... Here it is, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That we may present every man complete in Christ Jesus. So when I look and study through the book of Colossians, the whole reason it's written, because it is to show us that we are complete. And we are complete in Christ. Okay? And so, you know what, that is the job of our church today. And you might say, well, I, you know, Brian says that the, the job of the church or every Christian is to reconcile lost men to God. Yeah, it is. That is our job. But it goes farther than that. It's our job that we can present 
every man complete in Christ Jesus. That's why we have D1, D2. That's why we have Wednesday night Bible study. That's why we have Monday morning ABF classes because we want to teach people how they can be complete in Christ. And not just complete in Christ, but that's by knowing knowledge and wisdom. And we'll see that just keep popping up in the book of Colossians. It's written to give us instruction that we can be the man that or woman that God wants us to be. That's the purpose. Okay? So Christ is typified as our fullness, we see in, in verses, uh, chapter 119 and verses 2-9. The book of Laodicea. Laodicea goes in your blank. It's mentioned five times in this book. And it also states that the book of Colossians was to be written, or to be written, to be read also in the church of Laodicea. Because should that say the church of Laodicea is mentioned instead of the book? Yes. Yes. I've read this like ten times. I did not catch that. Because there is no book of Laodicea in my Bible. If there's one in yours, we have a problem. Yeah, you're looking through it and like, I can't find it. Excellent. Okay. I need people still awake in here. Okay. Um, Chapters 1 and 2 are doctrinal. So doctrinal goes in your blank. And then chapters 3 and 4 are practical. Okay? So turn over to 2 Timothy. One of our favorite verses in this, in our church is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, I'll wait till you all get there. Three sixteen and seventeen. Second Timothy three sixteen says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So what is doctrine? Teaching. Okay? That's your teaching. Your teaching comes from doctrine. So, all Scripture is for doctrine and it's for reproof. What is reproof? Um, Wrong actions. Okay, we, we're teaching you how to do this, but you're doing this. Okay, so the reproof is you're messing up. This is, and then they're like, so you got you've got teaching, you got wrong actions, and then what's the next one? It says it says for for doctrine, which is teaching, for reproof when you guys go wrong, and then for correction. So correction is correction. It's to how to fix it, and then it says and for instruction. And righteousness. So how to stay fixed. So you've got those three things. Or four things. You've got doctrine, reproof, correction, and then it kind of goes back to instruction or doctrine again. So that's kind of a pattern. Let me give you a little headway. That's kind of a pattern on how Paul writes his books. 
and we can kind of see that pattern go down in the books that he writes. And let me give you an example. If you want to know basic Bible doctrine for New Testament, what book would you take somebody to? Romans. Romans. Romans teaches doctrine. And then you've got First and Second Corinthians. What do that? What does the church in, at Corinth do? They get messed up. They mess up, man. They are right here. They got good teaching, but they're not following. They're messing up. Okay? And then you've got Galatians. And you know what Galatians does? It teaches corrections. So you kind of see this pattern in all the books that Paul writes. You can probably put them all together in every book. But even the book itself kind of lines up. So I kind of liken up Romans is to doctrine. First and Second Corinthians reproof. Galatians is correction. And then Ephesians goes right back with Romans again. It's doctrine again. And then you've got Philippians teaches reproof. And then we get to Colossians, which if we're going to study, is going to teach correction again. So you kind of see the pattern in, in Paul's books. And I don't want to be real dogmatic because it's kind of like a picture. But yet... This verse that's so important we'll see in every book and we'll see in the books that we're looking at. So in the book of Colossians, we're going to see that, that it's teaching a lot of correction going on. And again, the church... Giving you the, the, the doctrine twice mirrors the Old Testament. Okay. Second giving of the law. Yeah. And so it kind of just keeps, it's a revolving door. And then it gets down to, uh, Colossians teaches correction, first and second Thessalonians teaches doctrine again, and then it's pretty well done. Because then we get into the pastoral epistles. But these five church letters, including Romans and first and second Corinthians, kind of follow this pattern. So the book of Colossians is going to teach some correction which we need to keep in our mind when we're reading through it. What's, why did he write that? He's trying to correct some kind of doctrine that's not right in the church. Okay? And so I wanted to throw that out. And so, cause we go through Colossians, it, it is an interesting book and you're going to see what I mean when he's writing some things to help correct their, their bad their uh, reproof. He reproves them and he shows them where they're at and he tries to correct that. So let me give you some homework. I'm going to stop. Read the book of Colossians. Okay? Read the book of Colossians this week or even read chapter 1. Okay, let's just say read chapter 1 and just write down one important truth that chapter 1 tells us. And then next week we'll go through some of these. Okay. Now, I don't want you to be like last time I gave everybody homework. The last time I gave everybody homework, nobody showed up to class the next week. You jinxed yourself. I know, nobody! I'm like, I think, I think Angela and Sharon showed up and they weren't here the week before. Everybody was gone. And I'm like, okay, what is going on here? I give homework, nobody shows up. We will not have class next week, you're right. No class next week. You're not coming again. Okay, well, I'll pick it up the following week. Okay. But, read the book of Colossians. Because the book of Colossians... 
I'm trying to make you look bad. Where is everybody? I'll be here next week. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, it's this thing is this so cool. I mean, Colossians is talks about who Christ is. He's the head of the church. Um, verse. Chapter 2, verse 8 says, and this is in chapter 2, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Oh my gosh, that is a hand, mouthful right there. That's just one verse. okay? But there are some neat things in the book of Colossians. We're going to be pulling them out in the next few weeks. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll wrap up, because they'll get all the good seats if I keep talking. So... Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. I just thank you for the book of Colossians and I pray as we study this out, Lord, that you will show us some truth, some things that we haven't seen and not just for our knowledge, Lord, but that we can actually uh, remember them and put them to use, but put them into practice and live them out in our lives, Lord. So I pray for that. I pray you'd give us a great week this week and uh, bring us back next week as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.